This message is brought to you by Cornerstone Gospel Church in Frankston, Australia. The nature of true Christianity. Let's let's open in a word of prayer here this morning. Our Father, we thank you, Lord, for the time we've had here already this morning. Thank you for uh, the opportunity to sing such beautiful songs and to worship you, uh, Lord. And as we uh, read from your word, we uh, had that opportunity also to be stirred and uh, Lord, to promote uh, discussion and to worship you with the word. Uh, Lord, help us as we continue through this day uh, that we would continue worshipping and praising you and making you known in this world around us. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So we have been looking at substantial healing. Um, hang on, that's... I think I've got the wrong the wrong message here, so hold on. The other one's here. Here we go. Don't panic. Substantial healing of the total person. This is the third part. We've got one more to go next week in this. And um, you can head to cgc.org.au, get the previous ones Um And so we've been considering this issue of substantial healing of the total person because because of man's nature, sin stretches far beyond just being a forensic issue of sin committed and guilt therefore being pronounced ultimately when we stand before God. But sin affects us within our makeup, it goes much deeper than just that critical analysis on a sheet of paper, you know, that, that you can write down. You can do that, by the way. Get a sheet of paper and write down on there the nature of sins, look it up in the Bible, and then ask yourself, have I committed them, and tick alongside them, and you'll, you'll be able to see on a sheet of paper that you and I are indeed sinners. But it's much more than just a, a forensic look at it, because sin goes deep into the core of who we are. God is holy, and he must and does declare us guilty. Uh, And we know through the gospel that by faith in Jesus Christ, we're, we're liberated from that sin, and we're liberated from the punishment of that sin. But sin is not only a legal matter, because it affects us in who we are. And, um, uh, it affects us in the inner man. Turn to First Peter chapter five, uh, while we just run through a couple of quick recaps. Here, we've said that until glorification, our healing will be incomplete. Uh, when we're taken to be with the Lord, or when we're in His presence, that humanism has promoted in the importance of humans, overly promoted it. Um, and it's taught us to overly prize ourselves, you know. Um, this is a very precious generation that we're in today. Um, the cry for equality is often a cry to be better than others uh, at the core of it. Um, uh, we'll keep moving. One of the calls of scripture is that we would have the mind of Christ and it's it's so beautifully emphasized in Philippians chapter 2 and I mentioned last week and would encourage you to do a study of that passage let this mind 
be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Paul writing to the church, and he's telling them to for this to be the case. So the issue is that you and I must continue to walk in that kind of manner. And uh, as rational and moral creatures, we're responsible for our actions. Man's basic problems are that people try to be what they're not. They try to carry what they cannot. And that man is unwilling to take his position as the creature And we see that emphasized in Romans chapter 1, that man exalts himself uh, as he goes through a process of sinful thinking. We also started to look at fears last week and that fear is a consequence of man's rebellion against God. Imagine that you and I were in a sinless world, that death did not reign over us as such, Uh, We know it doesn't in Christ Jesus, but all men will die. But we would not be living in a world that has fear. You know, uh, Suzanne and I had this little experience. It's a very small thing, but this exemplified something to us. Due to the very strict leadership by the government in Singapore at the time, uh, Lee Guan Yu was the the chairman, I think they called him the chairman, uh, of Singapore. And um, Singapore was such a safe place. We were out eating with a friend and his wife and another lady. uh, And at some stage during the evening, this is late at night, in one of those little outdoor market kind of eating areas, the Chinese love those kinds of places. Um, She was, was going off home and she got up and walked from where we were through a dark park to go home. And I'm looking at our friend Andy and I'm saying... Um, should we walk her to the car or does she need to be walked somewhere? You know, thinking like Melbourne and thinking like Macau, you wouldn't walk in these kinds of dark places. And and he said, he looked at me and he said, no, we're in Singapore. And, um, you know, I got the message pretty quickly. It's a safe place because criminals get severely punished in Singapore. So they don't have that kind of fear. They're existing. Obviously, there are still crimes committed. I'm not saying it's perfect, but um, as far as societies go, it gave us a little taste of how society should really be. And so fear is a consequence of man's rebellion against God. We talked about the fear of the impersonal, that people who believe that the universe is entirely material in its makeup. So therefore, they can't find purpose in existence, if it's entirely material, if it's just a, if you and I are simply a restructuring of atoms by random chance, then what are we here for? And uh, so the Christian does not need to fear this because God's existence provides meaning that the soul searches for. Um, for for a deeper look at these kinds of thoughts, you could have a look at some of Ravi Zacharias's. Uh, writings, and in particular his biography, which is a fantastic book called Walking from East to West, uh, and he deals with these deeper philosophical kind of questions about the, the about existence and meaning, and uh, and how God, through a number of circumstances, brought him to the end of himself, where he was suicidal. In fact, tried to take his life, and uh, was uh, saved from that death 
by a very fortunate circumstance uh, that clearly God was behind. So the second one is this fear of non-being, which very closely related to the fear of the impersonal is this idea of why am I here? Is there purpose in life? And so the people who have this materialistic worldview, um, this is a deeply troubling thing because there's no answer to that really. If you're going to be true to your belief, and if you're a materialist believing in the impersonal universe, and then you must, if you weigh that up, come to the question as to why I'm here. Are we just a product of random chance? So they're very closely linked uh, together. You know, the fact is that deep within the core of each person, from, from very young, we know there's more to life. And these connections that we have with people at certain levels of life show us that life is deeper than just a, a restructuring of atoms. And so um, materialism um, just tells people that they exist, and they know that by virtue of the fact they're thinking about things, um, and so if they exist, it doesn't answer the question as to why they exist. And the third, um, uh, um, you know, and as, as I've said here, knowing the answer to being, knowing, knowing why we're here, uh, means there's no fear of non-being. So the third is the fear of death. Christians have passed from death to to life. John 5:24 most assuredly I say to you he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment but has passed it's it's accomplished from death to life. Are you born again? You have passed already from death to life. You're now alive. Hallelujah. Now that's all good, but you and I know that, that life is sometimes fraught with difficulties. Christians can face trials. I think, in fact, Christians face uh, sometimes more trials than non-believers in many ways. Um, uh, it's the nature of Christianity uh, because added to the normal trials that that many people face, whether it's disease or death of family members or, or breakdown of family or, or other relationships or unemployment, um, uh, overloaded debt, whatever it may be. Added to all of those is the increasing persecution and separation of Christians within society. And we are facing one of these times of upheaval even now, just the beginnings of it, uh, in Western nations, but it's accelerating quickly uh, and it's it's got a head of steam, that's for sure. And there are definitely some globalist movements behind the scenes that are working toward that. Now, believers have a rational framework from which we can work through these times and, and these elements. This is one of the issues... When, when we are taught on evolutionary theory and we face a major upheaval in life, a major difficulty in life, it's often the, one of the reasons why people struggle so much with that is giving any sense of reason to that. Giving, like, why me is the natural question of the unbeliever. Why me? What did I do 
to deserve this kind of punishment. For the believer, we know the reasons for these things. And we may not know the specific workings of what God is doing in our life at that time, the outcome he'll produce. But we know that God is aware of the difficulties we go through. We know that we're living within a sinful world and there are consequences in this world. And we know also that there are issues of character in our lives that God is working to develop in us. So we have a framework to work from when we face trials and upheavals that is very good for us because it gives us the ability to go through those things and be praising God and thanking God even while we're in the midst of turmoil. So what should we do though? We should be here to help each other because the word psychological is not a a sinful word. You and I when we're in a trial, may face disturbances. We, we have people in the church who have faced depression. And I'm sure that having some fellowship and someone to pray with has been a good help to you. That's a psychological disturbance that may have occurred for whatever reason. And having a brother or sister to lean on in that time and to share with is a, is a great uh, um, opportunity for us as believers. We can pray with each other talk to each other, discuss the truths about our Christian life. We're able to help those who are struggling to think in the light of biblical truths. And this is often the case with, um, I want to say, um, psychological issues. I just don't want this to sound like a psychology kind of message because it's not. But it's often the case with mental-based Issues, whether it is depression, there can be a, a, a very good trigger for that and, and a legitimate trigger, but the prolonging of that is almost always linked in to how we are thinking as we go along. And, and that's the, the part where we need one another and where we need God's word so that we can dig into that and allow God to show us where our thinking is incorrect. And this might be a stronghold in our lives. In fact, uh, as we talked about a couple of weeks back in 2 Corinthians 10, this may be one of the strongholds that we need releasing from. And how did Paul talk about that stronghold being overcome? Is by the truth of God's word, vanquishing, overcoming, destroying that stronghold. And we take that stronghold and we, we imprison it by virtue of the truth of God's word. And so... These principles are really important for us. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 5. The elders who are among you, I exhort, I am who, uh, who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Hallelujah. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, 
All of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. What a wonderful passage, and I I love how Peter finishes that passage by talking about this ongoing work of God, that he would continue this work of perfecting after you've suffered for a while, that he would establish you after you've suffered a while. So there is this purpose that, that would concur with what Romans 8 talks about, that God takes for his children everything and works it for his good. All things work together. How many things? All things work together for the good, for those who love the Lord. Hallelujah. Matthew 11, 28 to 30 says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. This is the King of glory saying this, that he is gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Hallelujah. Well, we want to move into... Um, a little bit of a different thing as we as we get toward this is a bit of information really today, um, and it'll feed into a wonderful lesson as we round off these um, four parts of this section uh, next week. Feelings often people fluctuate between feelings of inferiority and feelings of superiority. And these are quite common and they can depend on the environment that we're in and depend on who we're with. Um, And many people, you know, um, uh, vacillate between those uh, positions um, regularly, you know, depending on circumstances. We may feel superior in one situation, inferior in another. That We might walk into a place in which someone is vastly more knowledgeable than us in in an issue and and so we feel inferior. Now, the question at work here um, is that these feelings arise when we're comparing ourselves with others at this kind of human level. And this can become a real trap to people 
uh, in life. It arises from the fact that we're social creatures. We don't live to ourselves, right? We're, we're living within communities, whether that community is as small as a family or larger as a church or a workplace or the town or city that we live in or even the nation. We are uh, social creatures and we're not living on a desert island by ourselves. So what are the internal results of feelings of inferiority and feelings of superiority. I'll tell you, for um, in most cases, that when someone feels inferior, they seldom have much to say about that's positive about those who seem to be superior. Um, in Australia, we have had a uh, an ethos in our nation called the tall poppy syndrome, where where um, when someone begins to rise up, we, we have relished in the past in tearing them down. Um, so uh, often contrary to another ethos that we have as a, as a national identity, that of a fair go, mate, you know, a fair go for everyone. But what we take is this idea that someone who's getting ahead obviously is taking the fair go away from someone else who's not. So... Um, It's a little bit of a contradiction. Now, feelings of superiority arise when we push our own status in relation to others as though not among equals. Now, you have to try and think of this from the personal standpoint, not thinking of other people who you think may be superior. Think about this from your own angle. If you were to feel superior to someone, I'm not saying you do, uh, not saying you don't, but... The issue behind this, when you feel above somebody, is that you're viewing this from your the way you see your own status in the human food chain, you know, in relation to others, that the feeling of superiority is often a um, contrived notion of being above someone else. Now, in this world... We have governments trying to mandate equality, and uh, and they do that by trying to mandate equality of outcome rather than equality of opportunity. And the difference is that, for example, um, uh, within the Labor Party and the Greens, they want to make it a mandate that 50% of the politicians of our nation should be female, right? And so, um, you know, on the surface of things, that sounds good. It sounds nice that that's the case. But there may not be a pool of 50% of females available to take up the 50% of those positions. Can anyone think of any basic reason why not? Well, no, that's a different thing. They might be off having children or raising families. And it may be something that they feel they want to do. And so the pool for availability for women for those positions may just be smaller because in life, following traditional modes of life, or that terrible word, um, they may have chosen that they're going to raise their children uh, and, and take care of their family in that way. And so therefore, they're not necessarily available for selection to be in that 50% pool. So the pool is smaller So then we're going to take a smaller representation and force them to be 50% of the parliament. Now, this is called equality of opportunity. Um, 
and so or, or equality of, of outcome. Sorry, they're trying to achieve an outcome that appears equal. But in fact, within Australia, and I, I believe this to be true, there is already the equality of opportunity. Every one of us, male or female, can try to enter politics if we want. And every one of us can lobby our local cons uh, constituency and try and get voted in. Uh, and that is irrelevant of whether you are male or female. Now, um, this, this kind of thinking, though, about status in life is deeply ingrained. If you go to America and you see the black rights movements, for example, um, and you see the rise of Black Lives Matter and, and all these kinds of things, um, you know, that go on. And if you look deeper into it, rather than just looking at the surface, you'll see that this is not about equality. It is about the pushing of one group claim over the top of the rest of the people. And we saw this with the gay marriage movement. Now, um, you know, and, and there were Christians, myself included. I, I wrote about this years ago on a blog. Uh, it would be at least 10 years ago. I wrote about the rise of homosexuality and, uh, and aberrant lifestyles, that that was leading to a normalization of pederasty, which is adult-child love relationships, right? For children as young as 10 at that time, that, that this was... They were trying to normalise this. Uh, wrote a lengthy article about it 10 years ago. The research made me sick. I had to finish the article off because it was just so disgusting uh, to see where this was heading. Now that homosexual same-sex marriage has been enshrined in law, now the perverts and pedophiles are pushing to have this very issue normalised in community. They're pushing for it now. And there were Christians when the same-sex debate was on who said this kind of thing and they were decried by the public at that stage as being, uh, you know, uh, lunatics and, and all kinds of things. And now it is true. Because, and what is this? This is something that is aberrant, right? This is sick, but these people are wanting to take this and get it legalized in the name of what? Equality, right? They're saying, you're subjugating us. And they're using this claim for equality because how can I change this if I'm born this way? I remember witnessing out on the streets to uh, uh, homosexuals and lesbians who were claiming they were born that way. And I was saying to them, what about pedophiles? Oh, they're not born that way. That's criminal. That's sick. Now these people are saying we're born this way and they're doing it publicly because if they're born that way, who are we to judge? Yeah. That's what they're saying. And so the issue of them wanting equality of rights is not about equality at all. They want more than equality. They want to do something aberrant, something that is a perversion of nature and they want the right to be able to do that without shame. So, these issues of superiority and inferiority are deeper issues that work in the background of our society, but they may also show in our lives. And they, they arise uh, when we 
especially superiority arises when we see that we, or when we feel that we are above uh, someone else. Now, your validity in life does not depend on what I think of you. It doesn't even actually depend on what you think of you. It depends on what God thinks of you. And he thinks so much of you that he would send his son to die in your place. So he thinks pretty highly of you in that regard. He knows fully that you and I have a sin issue that has to be dealt with. And so he provided a way of dealing with that sin issue that we might receive adoption as sons. Uh, This is a powerful position. And so my status in life doesn't depend on what you think of me. Your status doesn't depend on what someone else thinks of you. None of that matters. It doesn't matter how you look on the outside. It doesn't matter how intelligent you are, what your skin color is, nationality is. None of those things matter. It matters what Christ thinks of you. (coughs) So the biblical model of thinking about yourself. Let's go back to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. The biblical model of thinking about yourself is to take the mind of Christ. Amen? Good opportunity to say amen. 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 Verse 5. Actually, go to verse 4. Let's go back to verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Oh, I tell you, doesn't that sound good? It's hard to live. And so this is what scripture calls us to. Count others as more significant than yourself. Why? Why do that? Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. This is the mind of Christ that you and I are to have. That we prefer others before ourselves, and how do we do that? We Follow the model and the example of Jesus himself. Though he was God, emptied himself and became a servant. Wow. Being born in the likeness of men. Paul's point there is to underscore how lowly he came to earth. And being found in human form, he then humbled himself further, would be a good translation of this. Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Yeshua, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Yeshua Hamashiach, Jesus the Messiah, 
is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen? So this is important because you don't lose value, you don't become inferior because, um, you know, you appear inferior in the eyes of others. It doesn't matter how people see you. And so when you and I take on the mind of Christ and we humble ourselves and we esteem others greater than ourselves, in their eyes, they may see you as being inferior. It doesn't matter. Because what matters is how God sees you in that time. But our pride so often wants to rise up then. And we don't want people to see us as inferior because we've been raised on rights in this country. I mean, we've got equality, for crying out loud, in this nation. We've all got equality, and I I demand your respect. That's not how it works. In the kingdom of God, it's not about respect. In the kingdom of God, it is about you and I having the mind of Christ and esteeming others greater than ourselves and serving them. It does not matter how they see you. You don't lose value as God's child because someone else sees you as inferior. Now, you might struggle with that. You might struggle with with someone seeing you in that way and you might go home and, and feel worthless. Cry out to God. And then examine the motives of your heart, why you did the things you did in that way and why you're feeling the way you do. And bring them into accord. Understand that by serving people humbly and esteeming them greater than yourselves, you're modelling Christ to them. Get that right. It'll help you adjust your attitude about being treated wrongly. Now, it's much the same with inferiority because inferiority, if a pendulum swings, it swings to both sides, right? And so inferiority... Um, is the swing of the pen, pendulum after sometimes after people hang their superiority on the wall uh, and they embrace this life of servanthood um, that sometimes people think the servanthood is the same as inferiority and it's not. Just like it doesn't matter how people see you if they think you're inferior, it doesn't matter how they think Likewise, it doesn't matter how they think if they think you're, you, you think you're superior. You know? That often happens when Christians just declare some little piece of biblical truth to someone and they, they say across the room, Ah, you Christians, you all think you're better than everybody else. Right? So it doesn't matter what they think. You may be acting out of genuine love for people and then you get that. It could very well be that actually you've scratched, you know, you've scratched them where it, where it hurts. And so their retort comes that way. But the feelings of inferiority, see, when we talk about ourselves, whether we feel superior or inferior, feelings of inferiority arise from subjugating our status in relation to others. Now, the the truth is, here as brothers and sisters, you and I are all equal in Christ Jesus. Galatians declares that, neither male nor female, slave nor free, Greek or Gentile, all. There is equality of all in Christ Jesus. 
Now, socially in the world, there could be all kinds of differences, you know. Phil has the, the hallowed position of being a justice of the peace. And, um, you know, I'm a postie. You know, it's, there's, there are different stations in life, uh, in this world, in how we function within the, the social structure of the world that we're in. But that is different. An inferiority is different to humility. You see, the Bible calls us to a practice of humility. Because think about this. Was Jesus inferior to you and I? Was he more humble than us? Right? The king of glory was not inferior to us. He who spoke the world into existence was definitely not inferior to us. But Paul says such was his humility that he would come down to earth like us and then go another step lower and humble himself to be a servant. It wasn't enough that he would vacate the throne of heaven. And Paul really outlines that in Philippians chapter 2. But when he came to equality with you and I, he then stepped down to a position of humility to serve us to death. And then Paul underlines that death by saying even the death of the cross. That is not the same thing as inferiority. Jesus was never, is never, and will never be inferior to any of us. But he was humble. Now, in the world's eyes, when you humble yourself, they might misunderstand that. Don't sweat that. Keep being humble. Keep serving. Keep loving. Eventually, that message will get through. Humility, one of the ways to understand it and its difference to inferiority is that humility desires to stoop down and lift others up. Right? Remember, as we, we read before, that we're to, to esteem others as more important than ourselves, more esteemed than ourselves. We're to lift them up. And humility was modelled for us in Jesus. Now, if I see myself as the creature, I'm the created one, this can help me to remove these feelings, these wrongful feelings of inferiority and superiority. I can just see myself as God's creation in the earth, and you are too. And we are each his creation in the earth, and because we've been saved by the blood of Christ, we are also his children in this world. Now, this means that seeing ourselves as a creature, the created one, and understanding humanity in the light of the fall of man can liberate believers from these feelings of superiority and inferiority. There have been Christian movements throughout history that have become very arrogant with the Um, superiority of their theological knowledge and the superiority of their position in Christ and all these kinds of things. And then on the other hand, there have been the ascetics and and various movements that have debased themselves, uh, you know, through practices in order to show to people uh, their inferiority. Both positions, I believe, are 
unbiblical. False feelings of superiority and inferiority are not validated in Christianity. False humility is one of those things, you know, you ask someone um, if they can play a song for us. Oh, no, no, I, I can't play that. And they, they kind of get you, you know, oh, go on, go on, do it. No, oh, no, no. Oh, okay. And, you know, then they play like, um, you know, Jose Feliciano or, or someone, you know. Is, you know, and everyone goes, yeah, couldn't play. Was after these accolades from people. And so they displayed false humility. That's not true humility. Because true humility, especially among Christians, you know, if we're asked to do something that will bring glory to Jesus then do it. Be not ashamed. Be not boastful. Do it and glorify God. Christianity has a strong point in relation to feelings of superiority and and inferiority. When we're made aware of such behaviours, made aware in Scripture, maybe we're reading Philippians chapter 2, And as we read verse 5 and we say, have this mind in you which is also in Christ Jesus. And then as Paul describes what that mind was and we suddenly go, that's not me. Christianity has something far superior to anything that the world has. And that is that the blood of Christ cleanses from all guilt. Hallelujah. That the Holy Spirit is able to take his word and light up this darkened heart. And we can say, Lord, I've been living and behaving wrong in this area. Help me to behave right. And this can be a whole new start for us in this area. Amen? Amen. Praise God. I love that about the Christian life, that at any point in the journey... We can take time to be with God and he will show us all kinds of things about ourselves. Some things we wish we never discovered until after we've dealt with that thing. And then we're so thankful to him because it's a changing... I can't remember what translation it was that we read from out of Corinthians. It's a changing from one degree of glory to another. That's, That's what God is trying to do in us. You know? Let's keep moving along. Let's consider finally today some aspects of biblical, psychological hygiene. Too many adjectives there. So, a bit of cleaning for the mind here, for the thought processes. So, Christians are not to put themselves in practice at the centre of the universe. Remember we read before in Philippians. Do nothing from selfish ambition and conceit. Right? So Paul's Paul's saying put yourself aside. There. Take yourself away from the centre and put others there. Put God there, first of all, and put others right next to them and then put you, maybe put your family, maybe put your neighbour, and put you right out there somewhere. 
move away from that central position. Start in the morning by putting God in that place, in the centre of your universe. Say to him, Lord, I've, I've been the boss of my life day in and day out without stopping to ask you what you want. That's a selfish lifestyle. Now, Christians are not to put themselves in practice at the centre of their universe. We have to do something else. This is not only right, and the the failure to do so is a sin, actually, when we maintain ourselves in the centre of our universe, the failure to move away from that position and allow God to have the charge and the authority is sinful behaviour. I must learn to think and will after God. My mind has to be transformed, doesn't it? Paul said to us a few weeks ago, we looked at Romans 12, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So we have to learn to think and then to act after God. What does God want from our lives? To think after God as he's revealed us, uh, as he's revealed himself in creation, as he's revealed man's condition in the world, all these kinds of things, and especially as he's revealed himself in the Bible. This brings an integrated answer to life. Now, what do we mean by an integrated answer. Well, this is both intellectual and in practice that we can put things together and we can live a life that is harmonious. One of the the problems of this whole gender identity thing, uh, you know, and, and people seeing themselves as, as trans this and trans that and, you know, I can clearly look like a 54-year-old white Anglo-Saxon male of, of English, you know, British-Irish descent. And then I can declare to you that I'm a, a female Chinese woman who's 21, you know. Whatever the, the fetish is that I have at the time, I can just go with that, you know. Uh, as someone made the very good point as Victoria, as the government has put in the proposal again to have birth certificates changed, that um, that you don't have to register the sex of a child and that uh, that you can retrospectively now that you're over the age of 16, go back and have your gender changed on your birth certificate and, and a doctor pointed out that's crazy because it's a birth certificate, it's not a what you want to be certificate. It just shows what you were when you were born. That's all it says. It doesn't say anything else. If you want to be something else, that's an entirely different story. But you see, this is the this is the the insane thinking of the world. Well, an integrated view is when we learn to think rightly about ourselves and act rightly. In the process, and we we get this integration of the the intellectual, combining them with the practice of life. Hallelujah. And it, apart from Scripture, apart from the biblical life, we don't have any basis for this. So, 
and then we would be concurring with Solomon and saying vanity, vanity, all is vanity, you know, and uh, because that's how we'd be living. But if you and I, by the grace of God, if we learn to think as God would have us think, we learn to think, now I'm not saying think the thoughts of God in some like kind of mystical way, you know, that, ah, yes, the thoughts of God, you know, but that we're meditating on scriptural principles and that scripture is getting deep into us so that we are thinking how God thinks because he's revealed that to us. So we're thinking his revealed will and then we're learning to behave in that way. This is learning to think and to will after God. Now, turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. And we'll move quickly from this point. Ephesians 5. Verse 17. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Paul shows the link between thinking and acting there. Don't be foolish, but understand. Right? This is the first thing. Understand things. Verse 18. And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation or excess, But be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. So, Paul shows here that that there is a false integration point here in life. Don't get drunk with wine because that leads to excess. Now, the false integration point, you could say, um, you could ask the question whether people should drink or not. And, you know, that is open for debate if people can be moderate with their drinking. Drunkenness is definitely ruled out. And Paul says here, don't be drunk with wine because it leads to an excess of behaviour, an uncontrolled kind of behaviour, unwise choices. Now, has anyone here ever been drunk? Like drunk? Right? Has anyone here has anyone here ever made silly decisions when you were drunk? Right? I, I distinctly remember going to see the angels and getting drunk. Uh, not the angels of God. Didn't see them. <laughs> These were some other angels getting drunk. Um, that was that was one thing, but riding your motorbike home when you're blotto uh, is not a good idea, and uh, praise God, still alive. Um, 
getting involved in other encounters, and every time they had this common thread of this drunkenness, especially, you know, the, the paycheck um, running dry before the end of the fortnight, you know, always had this common thread to it, making these unwise choices while drunk. And not everybody necessarily does that, although you could argue that the drunkenness itself is an excess uh, of behaviour that is not good for them. But what does Paul do with this? As, remember, we're talking about the integration point. So what's the integration? What are they trying to integrate here? They're trying to use drunkenness as a to integrate into their lives a feeling of happiness or to take away some sorrow or whatever it may be. But it's a false integration point because Paul clearly says that with this fullness of the Spirit of God comes such a joy that songs abound and fellowship with one another abounds. So be not drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. The word filled here in the, uh, the Greek New Testament has a meaning to it that is to be under the control of. And we would say today that, um, you know, someone goes to court because they murdered their spouse and the judge asks them why they did it and they say, I was filled with rage. In that moment I was filled with rage and I didn't know what I was doing. Be not drunk with wine in which is excess, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then you won't know what you're doing and you'll speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. You know? <laughs> under the controlling influence of the Holy Spirit, the joy of the Lord will come out of your life. That's, that's what Paul is saying, and he's saying that this is the right integration point for your life. If you want that true peace, if you want that true happiness, then be filled with God's Spirit. Don't look for it in false integration points. Don't look for it in acceptance from people. Don't look for it in alcohol or drugs. Don't even look for it. I love motorbikes. Don't even look for it in there. That's great to have a motorbike, but it's not what will bring you peace or happiness. That's, that's the wrong way to look at it. If you're thinking that, oh, when I have that thing, I'll be happy. That's what marketers aim at. They aim at that, that if you just had this thing, your life will be so much better. You know? Yes. That's why you don't need the motorbike. That's why... Hang on, I didn't hear that. So, so, so this is a false integration point in life. And this is why what Paul talks about, if you, if you take a look through Ephesians chapter 4 and chapter 5, and it's a really powerful point for us because instead of these feelings of superiority and inferiority, we can have the mind of Christ... We can be filled with the Holy Spirit. We can walk humbly serving one another and enjoying communion and fellowship with the brethren. Uh, you know, all of these things are the fruit of life in the Spirit, real life in the Spirit. A couple of examples of false integration points we just ripped down through them. Entertainment. Man, I'll tell you... Um, Amusement centres, the word amusement. A means negative and muse think. So an amusement parlour is a non-thinking parlour. That's, that's what it means. So you go to an amusement parlour to not think. It doesn't say much about us that those places are full, or they were when we were kids. Um, so 
even right entertainment can be wrong if we're if we're hoping that that entertainment will somehow give us something we're lacking. Oh, I was down and I went to Casting Crowns concert, you know, and I came home and all I had was a headache. You know, we we got the wrong idea about it. If if that's what we're thinking it's going to do for us, we'd be better to spend some time with God in His Word if that's where we're at spiritually at the time. Um, sport can be a wrong um, integration point, and some people, are, you know, they they try to excel so that they might be the the number one golfer. I love that illustration. You know, I was the number one golfer in the world. I had an accident, and my arm got ripped off. And now, what are you? You know, one arm golfer. You won't be the number one. I promise you that. Well, only so, one arm. yeah, the number one one armed golfer in the world. So, you know. Um, there's nothing wrong with sport, but you know it can become obsessive or um, uh, material things. They're wrong when we're using those for our security. If we think that by having these things we somehow have security, you're vastly wrong. Some of the happiest societies in the world by measurable tests are third world countries. Some of, right? Um, the, there's lots of things that influence that, and government is one of the big influences behind it. But some of those countries that that are very, very happy on world happiness indexes, and these are a real thing, are countries that don't have a lot. And material things just aren't that important to them. <clears throat> Art and music can be the wrong integration points. Um, there's a lot of pride involved in those kinds of things often, um, you know, you probably never met a proud artist or musician, but um, sex. Sex is <coughs> a wrong integration point <coughs> outside of how God has prescribed it. Now, that can be, uh, it can be a wrong integration point even for those who are married if they think it is solely about procreation, for example, and it's not about pleasure. There is pleasure within the sexual relationship for a married couple. It's within that, the bounds of that. Um, but if sex becomes the integration point by which people think they will have happiness and pleasure, it's going to be the wrong thing because then they're looking for it to give them something that it's not designed for. Is it pleasurable? Yes. Is it the source of pleasure? No, because pleasure comes from the Lord. And so this is the thing, is that we have to be careful that there are things we can try to bring into our lives to give us something that they're not supposed to give us or not necessarily supposed to give us in, in that sense. Intellectual pursuits can be uh, wrong when, you know, and they often become a point of pride and that's happened within Christianity um, uh, and theology can be as well. Let's move on as we close. The questions for you to ponder, and we're going to look at these next week. What false integration points might you have, or do you have? You may think of them in another way. You might think, are there things you rely on to give you something, all right? To give you something. Food, 
alcohol, drugs, money, and possessions, status, a certain type of car, house, new house, modern fixtures. Stop it, Simon, stop it. <laughs> Insulation. It's about, it's about that. Music, sport, um, sex. We, we probably could put more there. Um, lust, pornography, sex could go into a wide range of things. Are, are you using any of these things to give you something that it's not designed to give you? For example, if you think the house will give you security, your security must be in Jesus Christ. If you think money will give you peace, your peace must be from Jesus Christ. So you see what I mean by a false integration point, that, and this becomes a, a real area uh, in which we need to identify those things that we're leaning on like a crutch, to give us something it's not intended to do. Then that'll change the way we see that and may make it even more permissible in our lives because it's not then we're not searching after it to do something it shouldn't do. So I'm, I'm not saying it's wrong to have a nice car. That's, that is not at issue at all. But it's wrong if we're doing that because we get some status out of it. We... We lived in Asia for six years, you know. We've seen some status symbols driving around, you know. It's, it's, so that becomes wrong. Phil would have seen one or two driving around up in Mount Eliza. I've seen a few up there delivering the mail. So, so the issue is that reliance on these things or other things for our peace, <coughs> pleasure, or for a sense of meaning is a false integration point that robs us of a healthy mind. It robs us of that. If your if your peace is coming from possessions, oh, I've got all these things, and I've got some money. I'm going to go into retirement. Oh, and then the GFC number two happens. If our peace is from these things, we're in trouble in that situation. So we'll talk more about that because the only answer for those things is communion with God. That's the answer. Amen? Praise the Lord. We've looked at a lot in this section, but suffice it to say that we are to challenge ourselves to the about the priority that any of these things or other things are playing in our lives. You know, what priority are they playing and, and are they trying to achieve something for us that they shouldn't be doing or that they cannot actually do in our lives. So we'll look at that next week. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I'll take it back to there and you can ponder those ideas when we close. 
Hallelujah. Now, Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you again, Lord, that we can worship you. We thank you for the liberation that we find in Jesus Christ. And Lord, we thank you that we each can come to you as individuals, no matter what race, no matter what education, no matter what social status. Uh, Lord, we can each come to you despite any other factors and call out upon you and you liberate us from the penalty of our sin. You liberate us, Lord, also from the false thinking that we have gained over the years. And so we praise you this morning, Lord. Praise you for this. Help us to learn to have the mind of Christ, that we would walk forward in life, letting this mind be in us, which was also in Christ Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you for listening to this message. You're welcome to duplicate this message in its entirety for non-profit purposes. For more information and resources, visit cgc.org.au.